we're going to um, go right into an illustration. Let me tell you what we're, what we're preaching about this morning. As you know, we're preaching all year long on uh, God's holiness being manifested in our lives so that you can tell a difference every day. His character being appropriated in us so that there's a change. Now, today, I want to talk about God's gentle strength replacing our tendency to quarrel with one another. Do you know that there are actually people among us who argue on a consistent basis? You might even call them argumentative. Now, let me just remind you that these sermons are uh, are made uh, 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 or, or planned months in advance, so you don't need to worry anybody told me about you this week. <laughs> but we've got, to, we've got to recognize that we carried out of the garden this tendency to be argumentative. Can't have that fruit. Oh, yeah? And we just had this attitude coming out of the garden. We've had it ever since. As a matter of fact, there is such an attitude of argumentativeness in us that sometimes we don't even need another person to, to participate. I mean, we, we have arguments in our own heads with other people. Listen to this. Oh, it's all such a mess. Look at this mess. My hair is a mess. My clothes are a mess. I want to talk to you about life. It's just too difficult to be alive, isn't it? And try to function. There are all these people to deal with. I tried to buy a can of tuna fish in the supermarket, and there was this person standing right in front of where I wanted to reach out and get the tuna fish. And I waited to see if they would move, and they didn't. They were looking at the tuna fish too, but they were taking a real long time on it, reading all the ingredients on each can like it was a book, a pretty boring book if you ask me, but nobody has. So I waited a long time and they didn't move and I couldn't reach the tuna fish. And I thought about asking them to move, but then I had this terrible fear that it would do no good, no good at all to ask them to move. They'd probably just look at me and say, well, We'll move and we're good and ready, you raving lunatic. And then, what would I do? Well, I started to cry out of frustration. <laughs> Quietly, so as not to disturb anybody. But even though I am softly sobbing, this stupid person cannot grasp that I need to get by them and get the tuna fish. People are so insensitive. I just hate them. So I reached out with my fist and I brought it down hard on his head and I screamed, would you kindly move, you idiot? And he fell to the ground and then he looked totally startled. Well, I couldn't imagine using the tuna fish now. So I ran out of the supermarket and I thought, I will take a taxi to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I should be surrounded with culture and quiet and things of value, not tuna fish. I have had a terrible time in the supermarket. Well, before we read the scripture, why don't we pray? Oh, God, that isn't us, is it? Well, part of it is. Part of this taking offense and being set to go off is us. 
But thank you. Thanks be to God that you've given us your word so that we could understand what you have implanted in us when we have Jesus Christ in our hearts. Help us to so understand that word today that we can get out of your way and show your nature in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your scriptures with you and you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, let me give you the setting for this. It's so appropriate that Vernon would mention and ask the question, what would you do if these were your last days on earth? What would you emphasize? Because this is the last letter uh, out of three, 1 Timothy, Titus, and, and, and then 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul is writing to his spiritual son. Paul is Timothy's mentor in the faith. And Paul at this time is sitting in a, in a Roman prison uh, as it says in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 6, he is, he's preparing to pour his life out as a drink offering. In other words, he thinks these are his last days. And therefore, what he is going to be saying to Timothy is very important to him in order to communicate to Timothy what he thinks is most important to accomplish his ministry. So these are very, very uh, um, um, weighted words. Now... It also um, is, is good to remember that, um, I just lost my thought. Uh, let's, let's, uh, oh, yeah, this is the third of four charges in 2 Timothy. Second uh, Timothy is a book where, where Paul uh, gives Timothy four distinct things to pay attention to. And the third one is this, avoid goofy, silly, trivial disputes. Avoid vain disputes. Now, this really starts, the third charge starts really in uh, verse 14. Uh, and then it, uh, we'll skip down to verse 22. Read verse 14 with me. Remind them. You see, he's giving Timothy advice for the people that Timothy has spiritual charge over. So in other words, Paul is not just acting in a father's role. He's acting in a grandfather's role here. And it says, remind them. And then this is the, the present imperative uh, verb, tense, and mood. And what it means is, keep on reminding them. Remind them on a regular basis. You know why? Because anytime somebody makes us mad, everything we know goes right out the window. I mean, everything we know rationally is... It was, emotions and reasoning power are like a teeter-totter. You know that, don't you? That as, as, as reasoning power goes up, emotions go down. As emotions go up, reasoning power goes down. So Paul is saying, look, you are, you, are the, you are the spiritual leader of passionate people. You're passionate yourself. You're going to have to remind them consistently of this. And Paul is thinking to himself, and in doing so, you'll be reminding yourself. It says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, for which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Now, there's two results of this. Number one is intellectual. You can't wrangle about trivialities, about details, and, and come out profitable. It just doesn't work. You don't get any place. Paul says it's useless. The second uh, uh, result is personal. And it, is, it causes the deterioration or damage to the hearers. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Skip down to verse 22 with me. And he, he's saying this to Timothy personally now. 
flee from youthful lusts. By the way, in, in, this, in this context, there's the, in the Greek, there's an article used, tas, it's the. And so it's, it's, Paul is saying these are the usual youthful lusts. What I'm saying to you this morning, you've got to realize 1 Corinthians 10, 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So what I'm, ta- what I'm saying this morning is everybody has this problem. In varying degrees, we have different hot buttons. Everybody's got the problem. So Paul's saying these are the youthful lusts. And by the way, youthful, when you, when, you hear, when you read Timothy, you get the impression when Paul says, don't let people look down upon your youth and so on and so forth, you get the impression he's talking to a teenager or a 20-year-old. The closest we can uh, come to estimation of Timothy's age at this time is he's around 40 years old. So even at 40 years old, you're still prone to youthful lusts, passions that carry you away beyond where you would want to go. It says, flee from them and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, in about two, three weeks, I'm going to give a message on on building a peer group. Don't miss that message. Especially you parents don't miss that message because it's very important that you help your kids build peer groups. You know, this holiness is not about individual effort, and it is not something that can be accomplished by an individual. It's something that we all accomplish together. That's why it says in, in Hebrews 10, uh, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, it, says, it says, but stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We need each other for this thing. And so it's very important, but I'll talk about that later. And then it says this, verse 23, but refuse, this is very emphatic in the Greek, refuse, put your foot down. This is a Nancy Reagan just say no kind of thing. Now it's, it's a, it, it seems to be naive to think that we would have the power not to, not to, not to uh, uh, fight when somebody has, has, has really made us mad. How many of you, how many of us say, oh, I couldn't help it, but you hear what she said? How could I not respond to that? You cannot respond to it. You've got the power. Paul says, refuse. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. You know, the, 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 the text is about people who are arguing about little, little groupings of lineage, Jewish lineage, to see how, how holy somebody is. Somebody's holier than the other. And, and Paul's saying, whatever... What, I mean, what does it count? It doesn't, it doesn't count anything. They're foolish speculations. How many of us, when we argue, argue details? And where does that ever get you, arguing details? Where does that ever get It's like Br'er Rabbit and a Tar Baby. Did you ever read that story? You know, he's trying to repon- you know, get a response, and he just punches, and the more he punches, the more he gets into it, the more stuck he gets. When did, when did you, when was the last time you walked into uh, uh, a, a situation where kids were fighting and you said, okay, now who started this? Did you ever come up with a satisfactory answer? Of course, well, she looked at me this way. Well, he did this. Well, he did that. And on, on that, and you get, you have a room full of details. You've got no profit there. You've got no solution. You've got no real finding. How many of us argue in detail and never get anywhere? It says, watch out for those speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. This is on a very personal level. Read on with me. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. 
Now, who's the Lord's bondservant? You are. It's not just Timothy. It's all of us. If we have Christ in our hearts, we are the Lord's bondservant. And he says, you know what? There must not be that characteristic in you where you're contentious and pugnacious and quarrelsome, where you're set to go off. All right, read on with me, and I'll get back to this. It says, but be kind to all. How many of us find it much easier to be kind to strangers than we do to our own family? How many of us treat outsiders with greater courtesy than we do the people we love the most? The Bible says, be kind to all. And the implication is here, even those you love, even those you're closest to, be kind to them. Now read on. It says, and able to teach, patient when wronged. Anytime you try to make a point, Paul says from his experience, you're going to get wronged. This is simple matter physics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite what? Reaction. Anytime you're trying to make a point, somebody's going to come back, and they're probably going to load their point with a little personal jig in here. And, and, and Paul's saying, don't be surprised at that. Just be patient. I'm telling you ahead of time, just be patient. Now look at what it says. It says, with gentleness. There's that word. Correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. Now repentance is a biblical word for change. Who changes people? God changes people. You don't change people. You see, this should take a tremendous weight off your shoulders. If people really believed that only God could change people, they'd do a lot less arguing and a lot more praying, wouldn't they? And that is the actual fact. Only God changes a heart. We can't change people. Sometimes God uses us to change people, but that's not in our power. That's not under our control. And so therefore, we need to take a lot of the weight of the universe off ourselves right now to say how somebody behaves or how their life goes is not something ultimately that's, that I'm going to change. I'm going to tell them what I think, but it's not ultimately something I'm going to change. It's only God may grant them repentance. I'm not sure about that. That's up to Him. But if God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses. <laughs> in, 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 again, in the Greek text, there's a flavor of being kind of uh, uh, drunk here. Uh, uh, this, this could almost be put, they may sober up. Because passions let loose literally make us almost drunk. They make us uh, 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 um, just out of control, so to speak, or not having the inhibitions that we would normally have. It says that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. I'll tell you what that is in just a minute. Having been held captive by him to do his will. Let's talk about what Paul is actually doing here. We have said that holiness is not about our behavior. Holiness is about revealing God's behavior, that God who is now living in us. What is God's behavior? What, who, what is God like? God is He who sits on high but looks low. God is He who is majestic and lifted up and think like that. But a man who's already prepared his argument is not ready to revise it, you know, as they go along. So we're just not as good at this whole thing. Now, the same is true 
for leadership in congregations. You know, the leadership feels like it's got to have some plan, some vision, some thing, and so on and so forth. And when, and when, the, and when the, 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 the congregation comes and says, wait, I'm, I'm, what, are we do, what are we doing here? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? All of a sudden, the leadership gets real defensive, you know? And the congregation is simply saying, I want to be a part of this. I just want to give some suggestions here. And, and, and what, let's all arrive at this together. Now, here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, you're going to have people arguing your whole ministry. And it's perfectly normal, it's perfectly natural, but here's what I want you to remember. Don't let them get down into the nitty-gritty details because that's not what the argument's about. The argument is about how you're going to cooperate. The argument is, a, is about people want to be involved with one another. And the argument is about finding some suitable way to progress from here. It's not about the details. Don't wrangle about words. It is profitless. And when that happens, I'll tell you the progress. Everybody has hot buttons. All of us have certain subjects that if we hear them, we're going to go off. Some of you know your hot buttons. Some of you don't. You should. Some of you have hundreds of hot buttons. Because <laughs> you feel like it's your job to speak to any given subject. Thank you very much. Some of you just have a few hot buttons, but all arguments proceed on basically the same um, 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 progressive scale. First, somebody brings up a subject, and then somebody starts sharing the details. Somebody says, okay, well, here's what I think about it, here's what you think about it, here's what I think about it, here's what... Now, that can only happen so long before it progresses to a very personal realm. You know that? Because sooner or later, no matter why you started arguing, it's going to get personal. The more frustrated you get, the more personal it's going to get. I live in an apartment complex, we do, and, and there's a lot, we're in the kids section for some reason. I don't know, a lot of people around us have kids, and so when I walk down the steps, there's usually kids down there playing, and, and, and almost always there's an argument going on, because that's what kids do. That's why adults do it, they haven't grown, we haven't grown up yet. So that's what kids do, and, they, and, and, the, and the argument is usually starts out with a fact. I got new shoes. Now, that's just a fact, isn't it? <laughs> but not to a kid. That's throwing down the gauntlet. We got a better car than you do, you know? And there it goes. There it goes. Until it progresses. By the time I get to my car, practically always somebody has pulled out what I call the howitzer of arguments. This is the big gun, and it is always this. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. It gets personal, doesn't it? You can only argue with somebody so long, and this is what Paul's trying to intervene in, you can only argue with somebody so long before you start to break up the relationship. Now let me tell you what that looks like in an argument. You start out with the facts. You start out trying to solve something, but then as the frustration mounts, it almost always goes to an ultimatum. Be very careful about ultimatums. Now I'll tell you why, because those are the devil's snare. That's what, I, that's, what, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm uh, leading you to here. When you issue an ultimatum, almost always it's out of passion or it's out of emotion or it's out of, uh, out of absolute, a desperate attempt to resolve the situation. It is almost always unreasonable. You either do this or I'm out of here. Now, what happens when you step back and you said, you know what? I just issued an ultimatum. The nature of an ultimatum is we've got to solve this thing quickly or I'm out of here. 
And the chances of us solving this thing quickly are very slim. What happens when you've issued an ultimatum? I'll tell you what happens. The devil comes in. He says, you know what? You've given your word. You can't back off from this. They'll never respect you again. I know you said it in haste, but once you said it, you've got to live up to your word or you have absolutely no integrity. And so Satan will come and say, I tell you what, you've got to do what you may think is the wrong thing, but it's for the right reason. And you will feel like it's a moral compulsion to do what you didn't want to do and what you know God doesn't want you to do. Now, that's the reason Paul is saying to Timothy, intervene before that ever gets to that stage. And that's the reason he would say to every spiritual leader in this congregation, don't go, not only don't go there. By the way, how many of you today could say, you know, if I go out of here and I start to hear an argument that I have heard before, I should and I will stop it right there. I will refuse to go there because we've gone down there before. We haven't resolved it. No matter how many times we've gone down there, I recognize that's not a road, that's a cul-de-sac. And therefore, I'm going to say, you know what? You can talk about this till you're blue in the face. I'm not talking about it. I absolutely refuse to go down there. Let me not only ask you to do that, but let me ask those of you who are the heads of your households to intervene in those kinds of quarrels in your households, to say, we're not going to quarrel about this. Somehow, I'll make a decision, or we will, have, we will get to a point where we're going to resolve it differently, but we're not going to fight about this because every time we talk about it, the only thing that happens is that somebody gets wounded and we leave scars. We're not going to do it. I absolutely forbid that in this, in this atmosphere. That's what, that's what Paul's telling Timothy to do. Don't refuse to do that. And, 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 and remind people not to do that. Now, here's, here is the positive side, okay? If the negative side is, you know what? You've got to suppress your, your, your human inclination, and that is just to fight it out no matter who wins, no matter how many get wounded, so that you can win. You've got to get rid of that attitude. Here's the attitude you've got to, you've got to take on. The attitude that lives in you with the nature of Christ. And that is this attitude. That you need to be able to care for someone. Care for someone in the same detail that you wanted to argue with them. You've got to care for them in a planned way, in the same way you found yourself like a deer caught in headlights and panicked. And that's what Paul is trying to do for Timothy, and that's what we need to be able to do for each other and for our children. You know what? Paul has this wonderful long-term attitude here, the, 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 the role of a grandfather. In, in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, you know, teach this to others that they might teach it to others also. And so Paul is kind of acting on behalf of a spiritual grandfather. All of us need to get to the place where we think of ourselves as spiritual grandparents because it isn't good enough just to be spiritual parents. That doesn't give you enough of a perspective. When your kid runs into you and says, I've just ruined my entire life, you know, as a parent you'll go, really? What happened? Let's try and fix it. As a grandparent, you'll go, no, you haven't. <laughs> Life's big. Life lasts a long time. I've been around a lot of years. 
No one thing ever ruins your life. That's the rule. That's what, that's what people need to hear. How many times a week do you have somebody say, I ruined my entire life? You need to say, no, nah, you didn't, really. Uh, God's in control. It's going to be okay. It looks like you ruined it. I'm sure it's a big deal to you right now, but you didn't ruin your whole life. It's going to go up from here. And that's what Paul's doing. He's giving the big perspective. Because he is saying to Timothy, Timothy, if you have this character in you, it's the same one that I had, the same one that God has. And it's just like God is living through all of us and those you minister at the same time. He's building that character in all of us at the same time. Uh, yesterday, Joel took an SAT test and he came back and he said, Dad, there was the neatest quote on the reading comprehension thing. There's this, there's this, there's this story about this woman who is standing in her grandmother's house and she's looking over this pasture, this, this snow-covered pasture, as her grandmother did so many times. And she, she finds herself very much in the mentality of her grandmother, loving her grandmother, seeing herself as a part of that whole picture. And she says, and this is the quote, she said, time is not nearly so continuous as it is synonymous. I love that. That's the attitude of a grandparent. You know what? We're all in this together. I did that when I was young. I went through that. You're going to go through that. We're all going to survive this deal because God's in control. It's a wonderful, a wonderful perspective to pass on. That's what I'm trying to do with my kids right now. Every day I am writing what is a journal for my kids. I started out with Isaac, my middle one, because he's going into ministry. So every day I sit down and I say, this is what I'm facing today in the ministry. And this is the way I'm looking at it. I don't say this is what you should do. I don't know the details he'll have in his life. I can't advise him in detail. But I can tell him after 27 years, this is what it looks like to me. This is what I'm thinking. And then I started to write a, an addendum for Joel and Jice. Joel's interested in medicine. Jice is interested in business. So I pull out the principle and I, and I, and I make it a general principle for anybody who wants to listen. You know, this is, this is what I'd tell you about this, if I, if I could. This has been my experience. I want to tell you what a wonderful experience that has been for me. Because most of life, if you get in a routine, it's just plugging in and doing it. And you don't even think of it anymore. But when you take on that role of a spiritual grandparent, here's what I see that you may want to pass on. Then there, that, that, that helps you sense God's provision for your life. And it helps them have the experience of your experience. You might think about that. It's a wonderful thing. But whatever you do, listen to God. Don't get involved in places you know aren't going to be profitable, in arguments you know aren't going to be profitable, and plan for caring for others in advance. Pray with me now. God, thank you for this wonderful lesson from Paul. And thank you that even as you gave it to Paul to give to Timothy, you have given it through your word to us. Help us to refuse to be engaged in, in detailed arguments. Help us to rather exude your nature of gentle strength that simply listens to you and moves when we know how, where to move. Help us to put things into perspective and to teach others that it's a great world with a great God. In Jesus' name.